1: Coulter, it's a, a fine Wednesday. Snowed last night, got a little... And then it's got sunny on us out here in the western side of the state today. Enjoying that very much. A little very pretty thing you don't <laughs> get very often. You know, it's usually gray.
0: Ray Ray's been a big fan. This is his 14th season at Weber State. So you're correct. for Bedford, one season ahead of him. 15 for... Uh, for, for it'd for be Custinford. interesting to see... John Newley, because John Newley's been at Idaho, but his doesn't count as within the Big Sky Conference because they were in the WAC. But then he was at Idaho State before that. Mm. Con- controversial, kind of up a little bit. Okay, a little. I mean, it, it, it was an interesting deal because he led Idaho State to the NCAA tournament multiple times, and then kind of got chased out of town for no real reason other than just personality conflicts. And lucky Idaho, I suppose, because John Newley is a phenomenal coach, and he has maintained his presence in the state of Idaho and. I'm telling you, man, if you're taking Idaho State and Idaho to the big dance, you're, you're really dang good. Yeah. You're, well. really, you're really killing it. But, no, I'm excited to talk to Coach Ben because she, um, she is one of the most consistent coaches that I've ever covered. Trisha Bidford's program the last couple of years has been good enough to be a 20-plus win team, but they're always an 18-19 win team, always. Mm-hmm. And then when they – the years where they load up on the seniors like they do this year, with they have five seniors, they can go win yeah. twenty 2020 twenty plus twenty twenty two games and make a run in the tournament. I mean, she, she's done a great job. They, they are Montana was peerless in the Big Sky Conference in women's basketball, and Montana State has pulled even and in a lot of people's eyes, overtaken Montana in women's basketball yeah. over this last just handful of years. But uh, she deserves a ton of credit for that and well deserved contract extension.
1: Uh, also wanted to mention, too, at the end of the show uh, today, we will play you a small clip uh, from our uh, podcast with Jim Brandenburg. Uh, he's the head coach at the uh, University of Montana the men's basketball team for two years in the, uh, it was 77, 78, uh, and uh, it is officially today the first episode of Grizz Great's the Coaching Tree podcast is coming out, so we're very excited about that. It's going to be coming out shortly after this show is over, but we will play you a, a little couple-minute snippet uh, from uh, from Jim Brandenburg's uh, episode and uh, and sort of whet the appetite, as it were, for, uh, for the full thing, uh, which will be coming out now weekly uh, with supplemental episodes, bonus episodes uh, coming out in between each one. So we plan to release these every Tuesday, uh, the, the, the coaching portion of the podcast. and then But this one, we had a little promotion to do, wanted to get some stuff ready to go, so it's coming out on a Wednesday. Uh, but uh, Jim Brandenburg today and then Mike Montgomery next week, so we'll bring that to you as well. And again, our thanks to Blackfoot Communication and our friends at, uh, at the Real Estate side of things, Coulter, for uh, for sponsoring this uh, podcast. Mike Nugent and the fellas.
0: Mike Nugent, Mike, Bryant, Gary, Brian. Appreciate those guys from Berkshire Hathaway getting on board with this as well. They're big Grizz Hoops supporters, and uh, they're very interested in the history of this whole thing because yep. part of the history of sports is part of the history of our community, our town, our state, and it's one of the most fun but also one of the richest pieces of history in the Missoula Valley, and the fact that it has had the continuity and continues to have the clout that it's had for 40-plus years. is It's it's quite incredible, honestly. I mean, I was asking some people at Montana State, you know, we'd like to do something kind of like this about Montana State, and I was thinking, you know, Sonny Holland's coaching tree, all roads lead to Butte, it would actually more be like Jim Sweeney's coaching tree. But like one of the people from Montana State said, you know, there, there really is nothing to compare to the Judd Heathcote coaching tree Anywhere in the country, let alone in Montana, because, yeah, I mean, it is really, truly a rare thing to have so many guys that are a part of it that have had so much success. So we're really excited to share this with everybody, and I hope everybody really enjoys – what has been a really, really fun project to make. It's been
1: great. Uh, we're happy to do it. And again, our thanks to David, too, who's put in a lot of time and effort to uh, pull this thing off in a lot of different ways, uh, not the least of which is just the production of all of this. So uh, we appreciate him on this. Uh, also, again, just to just to reiterate, if you're, you're going to go find this on the podcast, just search Grizz Greats, okay? Mm-hmm. It's not tied specifically to the 2 Tell and Nuanas podcast, okay? So that's obviously out there as well. But just search Grizz Greats, and it'll come up. And there's already kind of the pilot episode where Coulter and I kind of introduce the whole thing and, and, and give it to you so you can go listen to that now if you'd like to. But uh, anyway, excited about it. Coulter, uh, Dante Olsen is currently at the East-West Shrine game. There's about, what, three or four of these posts season uh college all-star games that are that are effectively you know i mean they're 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 job uh interviews for for these kids who are coming and playing that uh in them uh a lot of outstanding players who i think are kind of on the edge of maybe being invited to a combine or not and so forth and guys that want to get first of all more on the radar because of the coaches a lot of times it's uh i don't want to not celebrity coaches, but professional coaches. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, not just the head guy, but the staffs uh, that are that are teaching these guys so they get a real taste of it. And it's not even about the game sometimes. It's about the week of of practice leading up to it. And uh, there's a lot of scouts that are at these things, a lot of coaches that are at these things. And the East-West Shrine game, the first of those, and and maybe the most notable of them.
0: I mean, it's the East-West Shrine game and the, and the Senior Bowl. Or Senior Bowl is a good one, yeah. The two that are going to have the most NFL personnel and uh, executives and things like that sure. there the the nfl pa the nfl players association all-star game is kind of alone in third and then there's there's the hula bowl and there's a couple other maybe not as reputable ones but the four the hula bowl is kind of fourth mm-hmm. but if you're getting invited to these games you are you've made it one step into the process basically someone somewhere wanted to see a little bit more of you. They wanted to see you do footwork drills. They wanted to see you run, see you jump, see you move. Uh, the senior bowl probably should go without explanation, but only graduated seniors can go to that. So they, I don't, I'm not actually sure if underclassmen can get invited to the East West Shrine game or not. I do know it's an absolute sure. stipulation that you have have to have graduated though to be in the senior bowl. Yeah. So. Senior
1: bowl is, is that for sure. Is these, whether you would have to be, it's its sort of an interesting thing because you may not have to be a senior or graduated senior to go to the Shrine game. But I do think that it is, you know, it's a roll call for the NFL. And if you are leaving school early, presumably, <laughs> what if you're leaving school early, you, you, would, you would think that you would be more uh, of a, like, I'll just see you at the Combine kind of guy than, totally. than going to some of these games. Although, who knows? I mean, circumstances can vary, obviously, very,
0: very widely for various reasons. And there's all sorts of circumstances. Sure. Pete Guerrero, the running back from Monmouth, who we watched here, he's a fourth-year junior in football, so he could have come back, but he's graduated, and so he posted on Twitter today that he's entering the draft and that he's going to chase his NFL dreams. But also just because most guys do want to come back for that fifth-year eligibility, but if you're a guy like him who just finished fourth in the Walter Payton voting, he rushed for 1,900 yards on an 11-win team, the greatest team in school history— Probably don't have a lot left to prove at the FCS level, and so especially at a running back position where what are you going to carry the ball another 250 times? More miles on the car, yeah. 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 So, um, it'd be interesting to see though because this east west shrine game, I mean, a lot of eyes are going to be on Dante Olsen. I think that the production alone draws you to evaluating this kid. If you're an NFL scout or you're an NFL executive or coach, you see the production, okay, I need to take a closer look, then you see the measurables. And th- there's a lot of guys that are listed at six three, two forty that aren't that, and he yeah. is that. They've listed him as real size, and so he ha- he has real prototype size for the NFL. So I think that they'll see the measurables then, and then once they see him run and move, I think that he's gonna. Ha- I think his draft stock gonna explode, honestly, because I think that this guy he's everything you'd want in a modern day inside linebacker. Because I think that there's a lot of guys that are either true 4-3 Mikes, and then there's a lot of guys that are 3-4 inside linebackers. This is, the latter has been coveted because more than half the teams in the league right now run odd man fronts, and they love having those two inside guys that are versatile, that can mm-hmm. maybe bump out, come off the edge, guard the slot, all those things. David just asked an interesting question. How high could Dante Olsen go? And I think just based on his body of work right now, I personally see him as between like a fourth and sixth round pick. But I think that sometimes guys can just, if you be, if you ever become the darling of the moment or you do something outrageous, your str- your, your your stock can just spike. I mean, Jordan Tripp went to the combine, yeah. and he ran the fastest three-cone drill in the history of linebackers. He was the first linebacker to ever break four seconds in the In the short shuttle. And when you have that, people are like, well, we have to get a further evaluation of this guy. See,
1: because right now, as it sits right now, I think Dante Olsen is a sixth to preferred free agent. But I think the numbers he's going to put up are going to move him into almost certainly drafted and and perhaps as high. I think, you know, I think I think fourth round is a possibility
0: for him. Think about think about this, you know. The, uh, people that we've talked to down at the school that have been around him in workouts, they say in season he was consistently running four sixes in the 40 and that he has a 41-plus inch and as high as 45-inch vertical. If he goes and throws down a 40-plus inch vertical, his draft stock is going to go up by around at least maybe more. And the, the, he, he, I think the fact that he... Is also a almost zero liability player. Oh, guys that are completely. freak like guys, yeah. so. So many guys that are freak athletes from big schools they come with a lot of baggage. He's not. He has no baggage whatsoever.
1: Here's the thing, though, man. To me, uh, th- there's a couple things. Even though as a linebacker, he's what he brings. The skill set he brings is 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 what what the NFL is looking for this day and age. The position of linebacker itself is still not one of the premier positions defensively.
0: It's not and but the number one thing that's going to set Dante Olson apart t- to me his his best comp not in body type or even athleticism comparison but more just the path is Samson Ebicom from Eastern Washington a couple of years ago. Samson Ebicom played basically buck linebacker like stand up outside linebacker edge mm-hmm. during his career at Eastern Washington and he, he was he was productive. He's a very productive guy but nowhere close to as productive as Dante Olson. You look at their measurables. Samson Ebicom goes about six, two and a half, 245 pounds, 240, 245. He ran a four-four-five on his pro day. That's gonna open some eyes. That gets into the third round. He also had a 39-inch vertical. Dante Olson's not gonna run a four-four-five. But Dante Olson's also bigger than Samson Ebicom. Yeah. But the thing that I think is gonna set cause what you're saying is right. But here's the thing that I think is gonna is gonna really, really intrigue scouts. Is one, Dante Olson's football IQ and his ability to play them more than one position but also the fact that he spent the first two years for the Grizzlies playing more off the edge than he did at inside linebacker because they had a couple veteran guys in front of him. He's been Montana's best pass rusher the last two years, too. When they bring him up the middle, or they bring him off the edge, he's a great pass rusher. So I do think that a team might take a risk on him just because he can play four three inside linebacker, three four inside linebacker, but he can also play three four outside linebacker as well.
1: No, oh, I mean I, I think there's plenty of teams who are interested in it. But if you're if you're asking me to like project where I think that he's going to go in the draft, or if he's going to be drafted at all, I I the the numbers matter more in in combine slash pro day. For kids like Dante than they do for your, your call it run of the mill, whatever SEC prospects. Okay. Because you have, there's just so much information on those guys already. And so this is the stuff where it's like, well, okay. Is it, is it real or are we just watching you dominate, you know, lesser competition?
0: That's it, because the I, speed of the game is so much that's faster. Right. Like The that's speed right. of the game from the NFL to the SEC is way faster, but the speed of the game from the NFL to the big sky is tremendously faster. So they have to know you're fast enough.
1: So everything that I've seen, but also everything that I've heard, my expectation is that he is going to put down real deal, top shelf in the group types of numbers. Okay, and I hope he gets to go to the combine, man. I think he's a guy who deserves get, to go he'll to he'll the combine. Him. So I, I hope he gets to go and do it. You know, in that setting where it really is against the best of the best it, of this class. Um, that said, there's always the you, you talked about this before. If you're coming from the F, FCS, there is an expectation broadly that. We can get you a round or two later than we would have been able totally. to get you if you would have done the same thing at some, you know, at Georgia or whatever. Well, it
0: let's is. say like this: If Dante Olson, say Dante Olson runs a four-five-eight and has a forty-two-inch vertical and is very good in the broad jump and the the shuttles and all those stuff, and yeah. That those exact pro day numbers, if he played at the University of Oregon, we get him drafted in the top fifty picks, and the the exact same numbers. We'll get, he's going to be drafted 50 to 100 picks below that just that's because right. he plays a Montana. That's right. And that's okay. I mean, like,
1: you, you know, that's, that's the reality of it. Coulter, you have a business, and your business is
0: based in the World Wide Web. Indeed, I do. So I'm on my computer all the time.
1: And if you're not online, you're not making money, and it is important to make sure that you're online and secure. Am I right? Absolutely.
0: Got to be cyber safe this day and
1: age.
0: So ensure your company's network is online all the time. For more information,
1: visit goblackfoot.com slash business. That's goblackfoot.com slash business. And you can click the link right here in the old podcast. We've made it so very easy for you. Go visit and find out how to keep your business or the business of people you know secure online with Blackfoot. 2 tell Nuwana's 102.9 ESPN Radio. The benefit is is that he is... He's a lot more on the radar in my mind as a Buck Buchanan award winner at the FCS level from a program like Montana that has a history of placing guys in the NFL, especially linebackers, compared to one of a dozen really good linebackers from a from a high major conference. You know what I mean? And there's there's pluses and minuses to it, but there's a certain spotlight that he actually carries that other guys
0: that the, the Oregon linebacker that die, doesn't carry. Dye, yeah. Anytime that you're on top of a list that that tops people that are of national repute, mm-hmm. I mean, Dante Olson has been in the mix with Evan Weaver from Cal as the leading tackler in the country. And so when you're looking at Evan Weaver and you're like, man, this guy has 160 tackles, and it says like second leading tackler in all of college football, and you're like, Well, who's first? Dante Olson was first last year. Dante Olson was first at first or second this year, that in itself I think draws people in. He, I'm just going to be so interested to see, because so often, too, guys can... Justin Herbert is a great example of this. I think Justin Herbert landed on the radar of NFL teams very early because of his stature and because he established himself as a guy who had an inside track to be a four-year starter, and then he went on to become that. But then because he was in the spotlight so much, we've seen this happen with a lot of guys that say each other senior year, you peak in your hype, and then all of a sudden people start to pick you apart. And so you might have been the number one pick before you were... Before you were a senior, and now you're actually better, but people have found holes in your game, and mm-hmm. so they have criticisms of you. Mm-hmm. But the thing where a guy like Justin Herbert, I think Dante Olson's in the same. Sam debate. Darnold comes to mind on Sam that. Sam Darnold yeah. is a great one, but the thing that's going to set Sam or the thing that's going to set Justin Herbert and Dante Olson apart, though, is the way that they're going to be able to wow people when you sit down with them. Yeah, Justin Herbert is going to make a team fall in love with him, and people think that he's a first round pick for certainly. But I've heard everywhere from a top five to a top twenty and where's he gonna fall and who are you gonna take first? Tua Tagovailoa or Justin Herbert? You know, Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert. And I think the consensus is that you're gonna take those SEC guys before Herbert. I agree. But there's gonna be a team that falls in love with Justin Herbert that picks him higher than most people expected. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case with Dante Olsen as well. And th- I mean that's something the the Rams wanted Cooper Cup big time. And he's he's worked perfectly in the slot receiver position that they need him to, to play in their offense. He's, he's the absolute perfect fit. But I also think that there was a certain element of him making them feel more comfortable, Sam's and Ebucom as well. And so you just never know when the fit is going to get there. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that Dante Olson is a coach's kid, he's grown up around the game, he's got incredible football IQ, he has... he He's a perfect citizen. He's done all these well, things. That's the thing is
1: like they're, they're going to talk to a bunch of people and you can get... You can get guys that have red flags or guys who won't you know, put in a good word for you, people who will put in a good word for you and give you a good recommendation. And then there's guys like Dante who are going to have effusive praise hoisted upon them to anyone that comes to speak to them about this guy, player and and citizen, as you say. And
0: honestly, having Bobby Houck back at the helm helps because if Mm -hmm. if Coach Houck can tell an NFL evaluator, hey, this is one of the best guys, maybe the best guy I've ever had, when the other guys he's had have been in the league, that that goes a long yeah, ways.
1: Yeah, no doubt. 2 is one of two ESPN Radio. A couple other things. Uh, several Colter Bobcats are in postseason uh, uh, All Star games as well. Bryce Stirk, Braden Conkle, Travis Johnson, all getting a chance to play in this uh, in this you know space here heading into uh, the draft.
0: So Stirk will be in the East West Shrine Game with Dante Olson. Yep, that will be an interesting eval as well. Yeah, Bryce Stirk really has a chance to make some waves too because he's a late bloomer who was really productive after dropping down. And the the biggest knock against Sterk will be, why couldn't he break in the lineup at Washington? Well, you know, Greg Jennings and and uh, uh, who's the big D-tech, Vita Vea and, and some of the other defensive linemen, th- those guys were first, second round picks. I mean, Danny Shelton was number 12 overall pick. It's hard to break in over that guy. But also, though, I think that Stirk just really needed to believe in himself, and once he started believing in himself, he was really good. But the guy was a state champion hurdler in high school. Mm-hmm. If he can still run like that when he's testing, I mean, he re- he's a real deal six four and a half, two hundred sixty five pounds. Right. And so he and he, I mean. He, he looks like an NFL... See, that
1: that's the thing that Bryce Sturk has that a lot of guys at the FCS level don't have. A lot of guys are not quite there on the height and weight deal, even right. though they are there on the movement stuff and some of the right, speed right, stuff. Right. Bryce Sturk is going to walk out there and they're going to go, is that Mississippi State? So they look like right. right. Is yeah. that is that is that what what's the MSU about? Right. And I as mean, so,
0: big as strong Zach right. Wagman is, he looked skinny when he was at the combine because he just I mean he's just a little bit not quite like those SEC guys. He's a little bit more of a tweener, whereas Sturk's not. So Sturk that'll be an interesting evaluation. Brain Conkles going to the hula bowl. I don't know what, what Cockle... Conkles going to have to test out the box to get a shot, but yeah. but everything I've heard is that he can people around there have been talking about, hey, he runs sub four or five for the last couple of years. Will he be able to maintain the mass? He's going to need to be that box safety while also still being able to run a four, or five. He's going to, that's what he has to do to I get mean, any sort of shot. Cause Braden Brayden Coggle is in that
1: interesting spot where if, if you have like a thunder and lightning safety pair, then he, you know, could, could pair well with that yeah. in a, you know, well, what Seattle did right on the highest of levels with Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. But, he is he is almost
0: a linebacker in terms of his size and he was better at linebacker in college too i mean right. he was a first team all-league safety this year he's all american but when he was playing that that box that uh, the sam that's kind of like their hybrid that's when he was at his best travis johnson he's an interesting one too oh man i mean travis johnson is going to be the one out of all these guys that the scouts are going to dig into the most because anybody that knows this guy's backstory he was once upon a time rated ahead of Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow in the same class. Right. Kyler Murray was behind Travis Johnson on the list. That in itself is going to be like, well, what happened? Tell me your story. What happened to you? And right. then he tells the story of the freak foot injury that cost him the starting job at Oregon. He went, he early enrolled at Oregon. He was going to be the guy that was going to be Mark Helfrich's guy. Scott Frost, was that was his dude, Travis Johnson breaks his foot, they have to go get a grad transfer to go to Prukop, of, ironically. yeah, And then Justin Herbert takes over. And I thought the Herbert move was hasty because it was a coach that was losing his job. Herbert then went on to develop to be a great player, but Prukop got scapegoated because Helfrich knew he's on the hot seat. And then Travis Johnson realizes, well, I'm not I, I'm not going to get a fair chance to beat this guy out. And then Scott Frost leaves. So now he's kind of in no man's land. So he goes to a junior college in California, Well, then the National High School Player of the Year transfers in ahead of him. He doesn't get to play there, really plays sparingly. He's like the number two quarterback. And then he goes to Montana State and he slips on the ice and breaks his foot again. And so he ends up playing receiver. And the kid, I mean, if you know the story and you realize this kid has done nothing but sacrifice for his team and he's basically played the wrong position forever... But then now that might actually be, ironically, his right position in the league. But make no mistake, as far as the guys are going to—I know we're going to test well. Travis Johnson's going to test straight out the box. He's a
1: freak athlete. We talked about this before, too, but you are not going to the combine if you're Travis Johnson to be a starting wide receiver in the NFL today, to be a starting quarterback, obviously, in the NFL today. You're going there to— Try and be the best rookie gunner that an NFL team can have, and you know what? He has a very good chance to be that because of his speeds. And people, I mean, I, mean, I don't think people appreciate this is a big dude. Like if you're standing oh, on six four two twenty, if yeah. you're standing on the sidelines, I don't know, if he's that big. But if, he's, if you stand I mean, on, on the sidelines and you walk, you look at him. It, he he is blazing fast, but it's not it's not five eight one seventy five doing it. I mean, this is this is a real deal, dude. And so, if he's beating coverages down the field, covering punts, covering kicks, and then has the ability, which he does, to stick his nose in it and make a play, uh, he's he's somebody that I think teams can take a long look at and go, well, shoot, pay this guy rookie minimum to come in here and compete and see if he can, you know make some plays on on uh you know on on the special team side of things and figure out where he fits because I think he is he's athletic enough and big enough that a team could be very creative with how they 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 might
0: want to try and use a guy like that you know for sure i mean you have to be an nfl caliber athlete first and foremost and i think that a couple of these guys we're talking about have something to prove in that element and i think that Dante Olson and Travis Johnson are certainly NFL caliber athletes. So it'll be fun to watch the way that these guys go and perform. And we wish them the best of luck.
1: Two Tail of 1029 ESPN Radio. Um, we'll get into the Missouri State Hire maybe a little later if we're able to. It's Bobby Petrino, if you're wondering at home.
0: But it was Art Bryles at like nine o'clock last night. Yeah, this is the, the thing first. It wasn't. This is the first thing I've ever seen football
1: scoop get wrong.
0: <laughs> Seriously,
1: but they they put it out there that it was Art Bryles, and you go really, and then they go. But then oh, excuse it wasn't us. just it's football scoop Petrino. It
0: wasn't just football scoop having bad sources either, though. Th- there was conflicting reports from the AD. Yeah, yeah. So they. I don't know. I want to know what happened behind closed doors. I don't know if they actually did ended up going and hiring Art Browse, but then they, they couldn't go through with it or Is whatever. Is it possible
1: that Bobby Petrino was the high road here? That's what I'm saying. Hey, no, no, no. I, I mean, it's a little bit facetious, but that, that, that's okay. By the way, they play the Grizzlies September 12th. Missouri State does just uh, for what it's worth.
0: Let the wingate by Wyndham in Missoula make you feel at home even when you're not. The Houston Astros
1: have been, I guess effectively uh incriminated for sign stealing and the uh Pretty impressive on one hand and maybe egregious on another process they went to to steal signs. And now the fallout of this is extending throughout baseball. Uh, Two firings now for uh, the uh, Houston Astros, one for the Boston Red Sox, and the Mets are sort of waiting to see what it is that they're going to do and we wanted to talk to somebody who might know a little something about this so we go now to the Rangage Brothers RV phone line and we welcome in the former VP of business development for the Houston Astros with the club for 25 years John Sorrentino joining us John thanks so much for being here we really appreciate it how are you
3: I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having
1: me. Well, we're happy to have you on. We're happy to talk to somebody here who uh, was not just in baseball forever, but but in with the Houston Astros for a long time. And you were with the club at the time that Jim Crane took over as uh, as owner. And when he came in and took over this team, what what shifted? Because I mean, there's always owners always, of course, want to put their stamp on it, their culture on it, and all that kind of thing. What was it like when Jim Crane came into the organization?
3: Well, um, Jim was just like any other successful business owner. They wanted to win. Uh, you know, I worked uh, at first for uh, Dr. John McMullen uh, back in the late '80s. He sold the team to Drayton McLean and worked with Drayton uh, for 19 years, the multi-billionaire. And then, of course, Jim Crane came in, and Jim Jim decided to strip the the club down uh, to bare bones and and bring in a team that would uh, would hopefully bring some success uh, it, it, some years down the road. So. Um, what that brought was a, a different culture than, than the previous ownership. Uh, really a, a complete dynamic shift in, in culture.
0: And that culture came to fruition with such a great scouting department and the Astros built it from within. And there was the famous Sports Illustrated article that prophesied that Houston would win the World Series some odd years later, and then they did. Uh, and it's it's a cool story from that perspective. So, But it w- in terms of this current scandal... How much do you think of that just undying desire to win influenced maybe what looks like a case where they took something a little bit too far? Maybe not a little bit, a lot too far in, in some people's eyes.
3: It, it did. I think it had everything to do with it. Um, you know, it's such a competitive game and um, uh, with leadership. Uh, they want to win and they have desire to win and, and uh, are dedicated to win. They're, they're, you know, results oriented. You have to be. So I think it really had everything to do with the competitive nature of, of the people running the organization. Win at all costs, I guess, is how it all kind of came to be.
1: You know, John, when it, when it comes to, I know you were on the business side of things, but you're in the organization, you're in baseball for, for, for 25 years. When you look at, when you look at this, did, are we you surprised at how, first of all, severe the penalties were that baseball handed down to the Astros, and that that eventually the Astros just cut ties entirely uh, with you know both their manager and GM? Uh,
3: frankly, no. Um, I think uh, Commissioner Manfred uh, had to really kind of set a precedent here. Uh, you know, the, the challenge that, that he had is, is he put an edict out in 2018. It's my understanding that that said, look. You've, there's there's a lot of potential sign stealing going on electronically and that needs to stop. So he told every owner, he said, you need to pass this down. And, and Jim Crane, in his comments, uh, I guess Monday when he talked about the firing, said that he brought that up to Lunau. And he said, cut it out. If we're, if we're doing it, cut it out. And the challenge was is they did not cut it out. They continue to proceed uh, in all their findings. And that's why I think you have such a severe penalty.
0: When you look at baseball as a whole, like it, love it, or hate it, bending, breaking the rules has been a part of the game for the history of the game. I mean, whether it's put a little Vaseline underneath the bill of your cap or putting a little nail file in your back pocket or... We'll, They'll
1: file what are we breaking out of jail uh, here? I mean, they, they,
3: used mean, to, they used to file oh, the I laces know, so I they know. could throw I the curveball. Like wow. some of
0: the knuckleballer guys, I mean, those guys would do whatever you possibly could. <laughs> yeah, in the ball. Joe, that
3: was Joe Negro. Joe Negro was an Astro, actually, he won 20 games for
0: the Astro. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. he, yeah. he would make one side of that ball bold so that when he's throwing the knuckleball, it's dance all over the place. But my, my question for you, John, is that when it comes to cheating and compromising the integrity of the game, and doing it to a level that influences the results of the game, to me, the two precedents that have been set in this is Pete Rose and the gambling scandal, and then also the Black Sox scandal more than 100 years ago. These penalties are very severe, but they don't quite reach those penalties. So what do you think of just the historical context of this and comparing it to some of the precedent that has been set for people that have gotten caught cheating at the highest level? Yeah, there's
3: there's no doubt about it. And and you may, uh, for... Gone mentioning rocky thompson's home run uh, back in 1951 i believe it was they were they had they had sign stealers out in center field in the uh manual scoreboards who, who, who were tapping uh kind of a, a, a telegraph message to um uh to the players and uh so that was that goes way back as far as uh picking up signs in, in so many different ways so as far as the, the level of, of of cheating you know it's It's unprecedented because they were told not to do it. They knew something was going on. Other teams were doing it with Apple Watches, by the way. So it's basically been prominent in in baseball the last couple of years. Um, You know, The commissioner's office found out about it and told everybody to stop it. But, But these two organizations, the Astros and the Red Sox, continue to do it.
1: Coulter, you have a
0: business, and your business is based in the World Wide Web. Indeed I do. So I'm on my computer all the time.
1: And if you're not online, you're not making money, and it is important to make sure that you're online and secure. Am I right? Absolutely. Got to be cyber safe this day and age. Well, for you business owners out there, whether you have an online business or a brick-and-mortar business, it's still running through the web. We all know that's a fact. And in today's Always On World, your business demands a simpler approach to network security.
0: At Blackfoot Communications, they deliver state-of-the-art security solutions from the perimeter to the endpoint devices and remote data backup for businesses across the state of Montana.
1: They do. They're keeping everybody cyber secure and ensuring that businesses run the way that they need to across
0: the state. So ensure your company's network is online all the time. For more information...
1: Visit goblackfoot.com slash business, that's goblackfoot.com slash business, and you can click the link right here in the old podcast, we've made it so very easy for you. Go visit and find out how to keep your business or the business of people you know secure online with Blackfoot. John Sorrentino joining us. He's a former VP of Business Development for the Houston Astros. Worked for the uh, Houston Astros organizations for two uh, for two and a half decades. Uh, joining us here to talk about the Astros and the fallout from it. My question to you is: You you you've been in Houston a long, long time. You're still in Houston now. What's the mood in Houston about this as it surrounds the Astros? Because the Astros, man, they they were they were not a very good baseball team for a long time, and for a couple of years they were a terrible baseball team, but. Then they go ahead and they have this unbelievable run and they win a World Series and they reach another one and they're one of the absolutely most fun teams in baseball to watch, no question about that. So, you you kind of got all of that. How much of that you know is a part of this directly? Who knows? But what what's what are Houston Houstonians feeling about this right now?
3: Well, the, the happiest guy to hear that the news uh, of Monday was Bill O'Brien, frankly, the head coach of the the Texans. No doubt. Right. Uh, so he he got a lot a lot of people detracting uh, you know all their fury on on that big loss to Kansas City. But there's really a, it's a dark cloud. It's, it's a dark day for the fans of Houston, and they've supported the team over many years. You know, he's playing the dome, and and now at Minute Maid Park, it's really it's a very somber mood. People I don't think really know how to react to it. Uh, they want to be a fan, but do you want to be associated with a team that, that cheated and may have cheated to win a World Series? So. It's really difficult. I think people are still trying to position themselves and try to understand, you know, uh, this weekend the Astros are hosting what they call their Fan Fest at Minute Park where they bring the players in to meet and greet and autograph and that sort of thing. So it's going to be interesting to see how that, is, uh, how that gets set up. But um, I, I think right now people are just kind of reeling. It, it, it's kind of a, a dark day and, and just a, a challenge.
1: Well, John, last question for you here. Coulter talked about sort of the history of cheating in baseball. Coulter's got one more after this. But uh, when it comes to, like, sign stealing has always been sort of a a wink wink nudge nudge deal and frankly if you are if you're smart enough to figure it out it's almost like hey good for you you know they got to they got to protect their hands better i understand when you start getting into the electronic side of it how that crosses some threshold especially when that eict was put out but how much do people really feel like this is this is full-blown cheating in, in the sense of like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of games, maybe a World Series that rested on them doing this and getting a very clear and obvious competitive advantage over and against, hey, this is merely an extension of what's been going on for the history of the sport.
3: Yeah, and the, you know, the, the stealing of signs was manual. guy's on second base, right. and, then, and then the teams would, would change up the cadence and that sort of thing. And I think some teams figured out the Astros were doing this and changed their cadence up, but if you look at some of the video... Most of the sign stealing as I understand it was when nobody was on second, they were just throwing down a one for a fastball, a two for a curveball, and you kinda knew how that was gonna go. But take a look at what's go- what goes on in football. How many how many coaches you see cover their mouth all the time? Right. I mean so people are trying to lip read there. That is that sign stealing? Is is that is that part of the game? And you know, even the catchers and pitchers are covering their mouths and they go out to the to the mound. So everybody wants their distinct advantage, everybody wants a- an edge. And so I, I think it's always, it, it, you know, the stealing a sign, quote-unquote, from a guy at second base is certainly permissible, and no one has a problem with that. It's just, the, I guess, the way you term it. So they're trying to decide how that would go. But um, I think it's just prevalent in sports. There's so much money in the business right now. It's so competitive. Everybody's looking for that edge.
0: Last question for you, then. For me, the hardest part about, especially particularly baseball, when it comes to some of this cheating stuff, is when the perpetrators or the alleged perpetrators were already great players. When Albert Bell corked his bat, Albert Bell was already a great player. (laughs) That that took him over the top. But, I mean, Barry Bonds, in my opinion, if Barry Bonds, if you believe the narrative of Game of Shadows, you believe that Barry Bonds started taking steroids before the 1998 season. Barry Bonds was a Hall of Fame player before he took a steroid, regardless of what happened after that. And to me, it's just so unfortunate because Barry Bonds – He didn't need it. He just thought he did. But with this Astros team, it's sort of a similar vein because you have all these great players like George Springer and Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa and all these awesome guys that the Astros drafted and developed and brought up. And it just leaves me wondering, did they actually need to cheat to win the whole thing? Can you separate the two? I mean, is there a way to separate this or is this team just tarnished forever?
3: that's that's the that's the question that history will tell us it's it's really hard to say um you know those guys again is is, is, did they do it actually or did they really utilize it or or, you know because you're always thinking i mean these guys can pick up the arm slot of a pitcher about to throw you a a curveball and decide what it is so they they they're all they need is that split second and if they know a second and a half early that a fastball is coming and they're going to be swinging away if it's it's over the plate? Yes. If they know a breaking ball is coming, they're going to probably take it more more often than not. So they're always looking for that kind of edge. And, again, they can tell. These guys are so good hand-eye coordination. They can tell. So to answer your question, I really think time will tell as far as the severity.
1: Well, John, we really appreciate your time. This has given us a, a, a great perspective and insight up here in the North, but we're just trying to wrap our minds around this thing. So we certainly appreciate your time and, and all the best to you down there in Houston, okay?
3: My pleasure.
1: Thanks, all. John Sorrentino, former VP of Business Development for the Houston Astros, uh, joining us here on 2TL Waters. It's interesting, Coulter, and I know we got to get out, but uh, – this this trend in baseball the last two years of just hitting home runs, home runs and strikeouts all the time, yep. and keeping your bat in yep. the in the sweet spot as long as yep. you can. I, I wonder how everybody's talking about oh the ball is juice and this and that maybe it is. How much of this is like oh well everybody's electronically just sitting on everything now? That's what this is. The trend in hitting is just we're all we're all getting beeped on our Apple Pebble watches or whatever. Fastball,
0: yank. I mean I know it's not like a completely flawless comparison. But I've been playing video baseball games my whole life, and the way that they have evolved is exactly how Major League Baseball has evolved. And I know exactly how to do the whole thing. I mean, yeah. you just sit there and guess a pitch, <laughs> and sit on it until it comes. And that's hitting. That's hitting strategy in general, too. So, but that, I mean, I think that's where it really does bend the ethical bar of the game because when you are a George Springer type guy and you, you're the leadoff hitter, and you know you can give your team a one nothing lead the first bat of the game, and you hear the boom, 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 that's going to be right. a high fastball. And you're like, all right, let's go. Like you, you got like a 50% chance I hit that ball out of the yard, yeah. which is never the case in Major League Baseball. Right. Yeah. The, the, what, I, what I asked John there, though, that's, that's my biggest thing, and we'll, and we'll get to more discussion about this later on, is that so many cheating scandals in baseball were by guys or teams that – if they would have never cheated, history would remember them as yeah. legendary, and it's just so unfortunate because it didn't. It's not like the Astros aren't making the playoffs. If this exactly. It's on, it's, yeah. it's even if they would have never got if guys like Barry Bonds would have never gotten caught or whatever. It's not as if what they did to their careers. I don't know. the 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 risk is not worth what it is because some of these guys would have been all time greats, anyways.